0: Hello, everyone, and uh, wherever you are in the world today, welcome to this week's episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. Each week, we're going to bring you a podcast covering all things Data Ops with the people that are making Data Ops what it is today. Now, today, we have a a real special episode with actually two guests. First time we've had two guests on at the same time, so this will be fun. Back for his second week on the show is my good friend, Justin Mullen, the CEO and co-founder of DataOps.Live. And with him is uh, Guy Adams, the CTO and co-founder of DataOps.Live. Both gentlemen are co-authors of the book, DataOps for Dummies. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hey, Hi, Ken. Jen. Good,
1: time good for me. To back on.
0: Yeah, great, great to guys have have you guys here today. Um and we got I know we got a lot to talk about here, but uh for the folks who are just tuning in and don't know you guys very well, I'd like to start off with just you know a little bit about your, your background in data ops and data management. So um Justin, if you'd uh, kick us off, please.
2: Yeah, so delighted. So look at uh, Justin being sort of 30 years in uh in IT and sort of taking that through three different uh, eras. The first era was all around sort of uh, dealing with data, but a lot around sort of uh, IT service management and IT help desk and managing data coming from all of the IT systems and monitoring and all of that. You know, second sort of ten years was all around sort of workflow automation BPM and and information management. So a lot of the reporting around the performance of, uh, of people and that and that got me heavily into the early stages of sort of data marts and all, all of that. And I've been using sort of business objects and various different things for 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 many years, from far longer than I remember, right back to Crystal Reports days when we were doing stuff again. So you remember all of that. Um then about 10 years ago really started getting into i suppose um hardcore data which is much more around sort of building the core platforms for uh for organizations spent uh, a number of years doing that within a services business and uh, met with snowflake and uh, realized that the world was changing uh, We moved away from a lot of the hadoop stuff and everything else and uh and then uh and then met guy and guy was a, was a, was a customer of ours and then uh, came to join us and uh, and now we are were joined at the hip on this journey of ours so uh delighted to be here and great to talk things all day today so all
0: right thanks thanks justin guy
1: thanks ken so yeah i've been in the data world for getting on for 5 years now uh, but prior to that my background is 20 years in building software engineering organizations. So I've taken many organizations on the Agile DevOps CICD journey, um, seen the benefits of that many, many times over. Partway through that time, I started getting into cloud infrastructure, cloud automation, or what became today cloud ops or, or SRE. And I watched as we took some of the principles from DevOps from the software world and we started applying them to our cloud infrastructure and we started getting the same benefits of automation, of repeatability, of better governance, of change control. And when I came to the data world, it was kind of like stepping back in time. You know, I was hearing customers say things like, you know, let's spend a month building a QA environment or let's allow three weeks to reset a dev environment to go into a, a, you know, another three weeks worth of manual testing. And I, I remembered this. It was what we did two decades previously and it was a, you know, we were very glad to get shot of it. So that was really for me the, the spark that said, look, there has to be a better way to do this. There has to be a way of taking principles that we've learned from software, then looking at how we adapted those for cloud infrastructure, using that as our baseline, acknowledging that there are some very unique challenges for data, but let's not try and solve everything from scratch, let's not try and reinvent the wheel. Let's use that history as a background, as our starting point, and then let's look at the unique challenges of data on top of that and solve specifically for those. And that's really, that was what set the philosophy and and can you work with us on true dot org as, as a microsite and that, you know, that really underpins that, you know, that, that philosophy, but also then the, the product that we subsequently built has been very much based on those principles.
0: Great. Yeah. Now it's, uh, it's been an exciting journey. I know for you, uh, from having, having joined up back in the data analytics days and dealing with, uh, all the satellite data and the machine data and time series data, and then now getting into really kind of shaping, shaping the industry around this, this idea of data ops. And uh, it, it's been, been a, a great ride so far, and looking forward to where we're going in the future. Now, obviously, you guys are experts on data ops. Um, but since it's the start of a new year, let's talk about your predictions. You I mean, know we could dive into data ops and what it is and all that. We'll do that on other episodes of the show, but um, let's get the year going. I know you guys have uh, put a lot of thought to this about what do you think is going to happen in the world of data ops in 2023? In so if you would uh, love it, if you guys would share some of your, your top predictions with our audience today.
2: Let so me. Uh, we'll, we'll probably let me pick. Uh, um, what I could the first one, and and we, we dropped it out in in a blog recently. But I think one of the major ones is just the, you know, the 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 complete domination. We've seen the concept of data products really go mainstream over the last uh, two years, and when we started talking about data products back in twenty nineteen, no one was talking about data products. They weren't thinking of data as a product. Uh, at that stage and uh, when we started doing true data ops and then the book you know paragraph one line one talks about how to build a data product you know so it's uh, it's absolutely core to everything we think and it's absolutely core to those principles a guy brought from the last 20 years which is treating data in the same way we treat software so treat everything uh, like a, a, a like a product so I think we've seen that move forward over the last uh, couple of years. We've seen amazingly big organizations like Rush and OneWeb and many others agro- around the globe adopt this data product approach. And even, whether you like the name or not, this data mesh approach to uh, to things, this federated approach to building and managing um, uh, um, data products and allowing data teams to be agile. So that's, we've seen that become mainstream, but what we will see over, the, uh, over 2023 is that that moves into a much more specific definition of what a data product is. So we will see that now become a, a specific definition and a common definition across many different parties. So ISVs, SIs, the cloud data players, and, the, and, and, uh, and various others. And it's almost become like a contract. So, you know, in fact, some of our customers today, they're building data products and they're monetizing those products, you know? So they're building data products out of satellite data and ground station data and this, that, and the other data. And then they're merging that all together to look at end-to-end link performance as a product. So they're building, you know, lower level data products and then building products on those products. But then they're selling, you know, access to those elements of the product. And once you turn that into a commercial, a, a transaction, you've now got obligations around that data product. So you've got a, and you've got a name for it. You've got a description. You've got a set of expectations that you need to convey when they buy that product. You've got an expected level of performance of that product, an expected level of availability, completeness, quality of, of that, and all of that now is wrapped up in the, this thing as a product. So we will see this sort of definition. Come And we're working on it and guys working on it and this team are working out with other parties around how we describe and how we convey what someone actually gets whenever they ascribe to a product, whether it's under a commercial transaction or whether it's under an internal subscription to a service where it's much more related to two internal parties and there's no commercial transaction. So it's that contract. And that definition that we will see evolve and become mainstream over 2023. That's our prediction. Okay. Yeah.
0: No, I think I think that's a good one too because, like everything else, I th- I think you know my standard, your standard example in the world of data modeling is what's a customer, and we can certainly we've been asking this question: what's a what what do you, how do you define a data product when says someone says we're going to build data product? How do you define a data product? And there is at this point probably no. Industry standard definition. So it'll be great to see that here in, in 2023 that we start approaching something like an industry standard definition. So when we say data product, everybody knows what we're talking about.
1: I think just just to build on that. So you said, Kent, you know, when when you sit down and build a data product, and but I think what we're starting to see, and it's very much has analogies in the software world. Sometimes there'll be a top there'll be a top down requirement from the business. We need a data product that describes our customers' purchasing habits or, or, or our, our warehouse supply levels or whatever. But, you know, and, and those will exist, but there's another category of, of data product, which is already the ones that grow organically. Um, you know, the ones where, you know, Fred in marketing has grabbed a few bits of data to help them make a decision. And then, you know, Sheila that sits next to Fred sees that and says, oh, can I have that? And now two people are using it. And then someone else in marketing is using it. But it's not, it's, it's, you know, and that must have a different level of, you know, Justin was talking about, that's got a different level of guarantees and different level of SLAs. So one of the things we've been advocating for a long time to try and encapsulate this is, you know, maybe think about things as like certified versus community, you know, certified data product is, you know, has a rubber stamp, it's owned by a department or a function, Um, it's got strong SLAs, it's got strong guarantees but they're not the only way to build data products. You're also going to have this bottoms-up approach where people are just building stuff that started out for them, then it grew to a few other people, and it doesn't mean it's less valid. It doesn't mean that it's not useful to other people, but you've got to be a little bit careful about making business decisions against it or building critical business processes on top of it because if Fred's on holiday and that stops working, probably no one else knows how to fix that, and that's okay. Don't don't over-design for it. When it's at that level, that's the way it should be, and what you'll end up seeing is at some point – a community data product will will fade away. It's not needed anymore. And at other points, a community data product will start being used by so many people or will start being critical for the business that now it gets promoted to a certified data product. And now it gets owned at a departmental level. And it doesn't matter whether Fred's on holiday because five other people in the department also know how to maintain it, fix it if it breaks and, and so on. So I think that sort of separation into, you know, what is a certified versus a more community data product It's valuable because what it allows is agility. If you say to Fred, you can't do anything with data unless it meets these very strict rigorous requirements, Fred's going to say, well, I only want to do something quick. I only need it for this afternoon, so he's not going to bother. And that's really stifling the innovation and the agility and the sharing. So you want to allow that. In fact, you want to encourage that but without um, imposing too many um, structures and too many requirements on it, but then have a path for that to be certified when the business maybe comes dependent on it later.
0: All right. Well, related to that, we got a question from from William. Uh, what drives the purchasing of another organization's data products?
2: Yeah, that's a good one. What, did, I think-
0: what have you guys seen in that area?
2: well obviously it's a value based decision clearly you know so it's a, it's a decision on will you know cuz typically if you're purchasing the data product from 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 other places like we've seen it in connected car data we've seen it in satellite data we've seen it in, in various others so it's is the data that the other party is purchasing going to enrich some element of their business supply chain or the decision making processes or the business decisions they're trying to take so uh you know, if you're purchasing connected car data, like the movement of t- of cars, you might be looking to understand uh, where should I place my uh, next outlet of a particular shop or a restaurant or something like that to, you know, to understand what the likelihood success of that particular operation is, you know. So where should I put my next McDonald's or where should I put my next this, this that and the other? Or if it's going to enrich some element of your uh, your your downstream data, you know we've seen um, satellite data being uh, being purchased by other parties. Where, uh, in fact, Guy's probably better dance this. Tell us the different applications of satellite data into third parties, for example, you know.
1: Well, you, you've got all sorts of applications. I mean, in this, it, so I, I have a, a you know a long history in the satellite industry. A good, so a good one on the inbound is in modern satellites are incredibly dynamic. You can you can refocus your coverage and your power and your footprint on a second by second basis. So I need to know. Let's say I'm covering the Atlantic. Where do I need to put all my capacity? Well, a big chunk of my consumers are aircraft. So where are the aircraft going to be? Well. I don't, I don't need to guess at that anymore. There's enormous data sets out there that tell me exactly where the aircraft move and where the concentrations are on different days of the week, on different months of the year. So I can buy in that data and I can use it to optimize exactly where I put my coverage, exactly where I put my power to make the best use of the, of the resources I've got. But on the other side of things, um, you know, satellite networks and, and communication networks have an enormous amount of data, for example, um, movement of ships. Um, they, they track every pretty much every ship in the world, um, and that information is available for ports, it's available for warehousing, it's available for people running supply chains, you know, when are things gonna be delayed. So the, the one commonality I see is in most industries that aren't very, very data heavy, people underestimate the value of their data. In almost every customer I've worked with, they say, I can see how I might make use of other people's data, but I can't see how anyone else would value my data. And almost without exception, once you start giving them an outside perspective, all of a sudden they say, wow, I suddenly see how this thing that I've taken for granted for a decade is now has value to other people. And it's potentially, you know, multi, multi-million dollar value. We're not talking about small amounts of money here. So you know, I would very much encourage people, you know, to have a very open mind about even stuff that you take for granted, what it might be worth to other people in completely different industries.
0: Yeah, it's really about, you know, getting thinking outside the box of what data could I use to augment the data that I already have to allow us to make better decisions and and do whatever it is our organization needs to do? And William said he's he's calling it uh, decision intelligence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The value of decision intelligence. And so I think that's great. Well, OK, we're, we're halfway through already and we've only gotten through two of your predictions. So uh, <laughs> let, let, let's move on to the next one, guys.
2: Okay, so um, let's pick the, uh, the word of 2022, I think, observability. So um, we've seen that uh, just become dominant in all sorts of places over the, the course of 2022 and to, uh, to a reasonable extent, I suppose, through the back end of, of, of 2021. And observability has been around for a long time. I was doing involved in observability 25 years ago when we were doing observability of IT networks and the performance of uh, of how they were performing and network monitoring and uh, uh, and all of these things we didn't call it observability at, at that stage but uh, but it was exactly the same thing and it was uh, you know, identification of incidents and uh, you know root cause analysis and all of those, those sorts of things that were going on around that, and obviously Splunk and Datadog and various other things have really dominated that in in in, in that sphere, and that's uh, you know uh, um, you know become a, a real sort of key a key element, and that's something that's really key this period. And everyone's talking about observability, but what we'll think that we'll see over the course and the prediction over this year is unified observability will become uh, a term, and that is the combination of a lot of the observability data that we see coming out of different Uh, Core applications. So, in the data world, for example, we're seeing observability not so much around network instruments, but around data quality and data timeliness and uh, frequency and uh, all of these other things. But we also see observability around pipelines. We see observability around uh, the cost and the usage and all of these things. So, we'll see a lot of this observability that's being gathered in different places being unified. Uh, And We'll see the whole space, you know, because it's such a core part of data operations. In the same way, just observability has been of IT operations, we expect to see observability come under that wider sphere of just data ops. You know, data ops is data operations at its core. It's not just the orchestration of a pipeline. It's everything that is end to end in terms of how the the, the those data operations. Uh, run and are managed and uh, are controlled and governed and, and the agility that, uh, that, that it's ever done. So what our prediction is that observability will become data observability, we'll certainly see as a core element of data operations.
0: Excellent. Okay. Guy, next one.
1: So my, I guess one of my predictions for 2023 is machine learning and AI. And I say that reservedly because that's been on everybody's predictions for about seven or eight years, but it's never been on mine. And I've had a very, very um, healthy skepticism when people have talked about this, not because I don't believe in it, but because I believe that people have dramatically overestimated the point at which it will reach the average business user and be useful. You know, absolutely for data scientists, it's been very relevant for a long time and if you have a specific thing that you want to do, and you have a team of data scientists, then fantastic. And you know there have been very specific use cases like you know time series anomaly detection, which have been commoditized and, and commoditized well. But actually putting the value of some of this stuff into the hands of a business user in a very meaningful way that they can consume, up until recently, I think has been has been a way off. And one of the the trends that I've been tracking, and, I, and many others will as well, um, is some of the natural language processing, for example, around GPT three. Um, And all of a sudden the ability for a business user to legitimately sit down in front of their own computer, describe in human readable terms what they want and to have SQL code or Python code written for them, understanding their own data, their own database structure and it's not going to be 100% every time, and that's not the goal, and that that, that shouldn't be the target. But certainly, if, if that can be 95% right, that's an awful lot of heavy lifting. That's an awful lot of um, you know additional productivity. I'm pretty good at writing SQL statements, but I would still much rather have it written, 95% of it written for me in three seconds, and, and me fine tune the last 5% than sit there trying to make sure oh, I get the wow. syntax right, because it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing this, it's not a valuable use of, of, of my time. So. I genuinely think that 2023 is going to be the year where for, for for very specific but very important use cases, ML and AI is actually going to land in the hands of business users and they're going to be, yes, this is making an enormous difference to my everyday work.
2: This is quite a joke in our organization because he hates the words AI and ML. And we apply it to everything. And so this is, like a, this is like a unique year, Kent, where he's actually coming out and talking about If you'd mention AI and everything, just like, Look at Jan away last year. Didn't want to hear none of it, you know. But uh, there's a big prediction from for guy this yeah. year. And then let,
1: let's let's separate out ML and AI as described by marketing people, with the greatest respect, and ML <laughs> and AI as, as it actually, really, genuinely exists, because they're quite different things.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, it's you know fits in with our our true data ops approach of automation, and if we can get to the point where we can have pipelines and code and things generated through ai and machine learning algorithms yet yeah, th- then it, again it we get closer to that goal of democratization <coughs> right mm-hmm. the democratization of the data and the data platforms and empowering business users who you know hopefully they understand the data they understand the business needs but don't have the technical skill necessarily to to code it and know the nuances of inner and outer joins and all the things that we all love to do when we write SQL. There'll it, it, be a, a, a massive step forward to be able to do all that.
2: Massive in terms of agility, massive in terms of productivity, and just the the assistance that that will give to not just experienced engineers who just want to do it faster, but just think about all of those other engineers that are coming up and coming in and what looking to just, you know, you're always trying to find something to repeat it from, and to, you know. So we're not talking about it writing everything, but assisting you and accelerating you into that that piece. I think it's a massive, massively strong prediction for this year. Yep.
0: All right. Next up, Justin.
2: Um, maybe uh, following that, and what could we talked about this on the uh, um, on the, the predictions it's just around. Um, think about just the industry of uh, that we've been in for the last. Five, six, seven years, and just think about this: uh, data engineers, just data engineers, as a, as a, as a talent pool, as a job title, as positions or whatever, and they have been the most challenging people to find for the last uh, um, six, seven eight nine years whenever you think about it because they they actually range from a whole load of you know they've got a whole lot of different skills that you're trying to get into and they've got to have programming language skills they've got a python and SQL, no databases technologies like elt and, uh, and etl and they've got to think about infrastructure and cloud infrastructure and so they're a very sort of widely skilled uh, person and you, you know there's no universities really, you know, doing you know courses in how to become a data engineer. You think about it, you've got data science courses and you've got all of these uh, uh, different things go- going on, and they're generating people, but you don't have a de- data engineer's degree out there, and uh, um, and that's really been really challenging for organizations. It's also really challenging for organizations because they rely. And we rely so heavily on them uh, today. There was a great image uh, that Steve Huber was, uh, and I were talking about yesterday that would come up on LinkedIn uh, the other day, which was a picture of a whole lot of people. It was about 13 people in this image. And there was about 12 of them standing around to the outside, described as product managers and AI and machine learning engineers and stakeholders and whatever. And there was one guy in a hole digging with a shovel. And he was the data engineer, okay? And this analogy is so true across organizations. You've got everyone else waiting on the data engineer, dependent on the data engineer. And, have, and so that's been a really, really difficult positions thing. But I think we're changing that. And I think DataOps is changing that. And we think that 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 is making a big difference because it's uh, um, allowing those really, some really highly skilled data engineers, you know, maybe 10% this guy had in, in his old software organizations that are your sort of core, hardcore DevOps, engineers and they're defining the pipelines and the approaches and the infrastructures and uh, and everything else and what that's doing is making it easier for you to take on more and more people into the data product developer, the lower end data engineering roles to build these pipelines and build these transformation processes uh, and everything else. And we've seen it within customers. So DataOps is now enabling organizations that we've seen to build their, build their pipelines and then start to employ uh, younger people straight out of college with Python and with sequence skills and be a base set of configuration skills And then to become productive and pushing pipelines into production in weeks now that's unheard of if you go back you know just a year or two before you would never have anyone push into production almost within six months you know and that would only be as part of someone else's cycle so i think the prediction is that we will see data ops uh, uh, you know, create the opportunity for more and more data engineering positions, and more and more of those positions to be fulfilled quicker because we can take people in, and we can create uh, um, the capabilities that we need as we as we go along. So that's the prediction for 2023.
0: All right. Okay. So, uh, Guy, I think we have time for one more. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm
1: going to get if I'm going to one more, I think it has to be it, it's a topic that <laughs> I'm very very passionate about, and that's the developer experience. When when I when I came to the data world from from a long history in the software world, one of the analyses I did was you know how how efficient are my data engineers compared to the software engineers I just left, and my conclusion was they're somewhere between forty five and seventy five percent less efficient. And that's huge I mean that's that's, that's huge yeah. catastrophic for you know, and now you say you have a hundred data engineers and all of a sudden you're talking about you know millions and millions and millions of dollars of, of, of business costs so it's a, but also it's it's not just the business impact no engineer no matter what area they're in likes to be slow inefficient laborious your engineers like creating value like solving problems you know not not the laborious stuff so I think the, the one thing that we've been really focused on in the last few months, and we we released at the end of last year, our, our, our cloud development environment as the first piece of this, is the data developer experience. And if you think back to what I was saying, you know, we don't want to try and make a, a data up solution completely unique. We don't want to try and reinvent every wheel. You know, there are extremely good developer experiences out there for software engineers. So let's look at what works great in the software world. Let's see how we adapt it to the data world. let's try and push that out so this this whole concept of how do i get a data developer experience where they can um you know create a create a sandbox in a few seconds they can make changes locally in a couple of minutes they can test those changes locally in a few seconds they can get it all the way they want to the way they want then once they're finished they can push that back to the system they can have a pipeline run in a sandbox to check it all works seamlessly end to end you know they don't have to spend any time setting up development environments things like that you know these are all things that In the software world, people have just gotten used to, and you only really find out the value of it, go to a software engineer and threaten to take away their favorite tool chain. You'll soon find out how valuable that is to them because they will go down kicking and screaming to the bitter end, and yet data engineers have not had any of this. So trying to bring that that developer experience from the software world to the data world, making all those adaptions as we go, which is which is what we're best at, um, is a, it was a big focus for us at the end of last year. It's gonna be a big focus for us through through 2023. And I, I think the the impact for individuals is gonna be huge. There's gonna be so much more productive, so much happier, so much more time spent doing what they love, but also the impact to the business. And obviously in, in current economic times, that's huge. You know, if you can add you know 20, 30, 40 percent efficiency to your data engineering team. All of a sudden, that you know, that pressure of doing more with the same amount of resources that invariably is coming now starts to become really actually quite practical.
0: Cool. Well, that's. I mean, I think we started off saying you know one of our, one of our goals and one of the things that we, we need to be achieving is is more agility, right? And uh, you know, agility and governance and having a good development environment for these data engineers. Um, some of whom will be, you know, less experienced than others is going to be critical to achieving those kind of goals in our, you know, our, our vision of, of true data ops and, and where we're going to go with that. So I think that's, that, uh, that, that is pretty critical. You know, we, if we're going to have all these data engineers and data ops engineers out there, you know, we, we want them to be productive and, and contributing as much as possible, not, uh, Hunting, hunting, and pecking, as it were, through the co- thousands and thousands of lines of code to find a syntax error, right? Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. yeah, I think I think that's good. I I, I hope that that uh, w- we see that prediction come true here in the in the next year. Now, w- one one last thing for you guys, since you weren't on last week, is I, I hit Justin with this one right at the end last week too. Is hard hard to think this way? I think sometimes, but if you weren't doing data. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs>
1: if I wasn't doing data, um, I'd probably be I'd probably be doing what I was doing prior to this. I would be very much into the cloud infrastructure, cloud automation piece. And and this this it's such a it's such a big overlap now. You know, the the, yeah. the big boundaries that used to be there's data over there here and cloud infrastructure over there used to be very separate areas. The the boundaries are blurring between them. Um, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that makes me excited about, about you know, um, data, and particularly data in the cloud, has come from that cloud infrastructure, you know, that, that, that separation of storage and compute, that elastic compute capability, all those things, you know, they all came from the cloud world, um, and there's still a lot of exciting, you know, there's still a lot of exciting stuff to be done. Anyone that thinks, you know, the cloud infrastructure world is done, you know, really isn't reading the tea leaves very well.
0: Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. And well, if you didn't uh,
2: do anything with IT at all?
1: Yeah, if it wasn't IT related. Oh, it yeah. wasn't IT. I'd, I'd, I'd go and become a ski instructor somewhere. Ah.
0: <laughs> nor, nor, Nordic or Alpine? Oh, definitely Alpine. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm not fit <laughs> enough. <laughs> you need gravity to help you move,
1: right? Oh, 100%. I, I need a machine to get me up there and gravity to get me back down again.
0: Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, well thank, thanks guys for uh, being on the show day and, uh, and being guests and it, it's been great having you all on and, you know, we might have to do another one because I, I know you got way more predictions than we were able to get through this time. Uh, but there is, I believe, a, a blog post out on dataops.live live that has them all, uh, all written out. So for um, folks who want to see what else uh, Justin and Guy are thinking about, uh, you can, you can check that out. And uh, so thanks. Thanks, everyone, for, for being here today and, and joining us. Uh, uh, next week, uh, we're going to we're gonna have a, a surprise guest. So keep an eye on our postings on LinkedIn and Twitter for the announcement who who's going to be joining us on next week's show. Uh, I'm sure you won't want to miss it. We have a lot of exciting guests lined up and ready to come in and, and talk about this uh, ever-changing world of data and data ops. So. Uh, Until next time, everyone, have a great week. Thanks, Kent. Thanks, Kent.